of the Channel Futures podcast, Coffee with Craig and James. I am the editorial director of Channel Futures, Craig Galbraith. Joining me as always, Mr. Anderson, our esteemed news editor, James Anderson. James, how are you? Craig, I am doing well. I just drank a delicious smoothie. How are you today? Well, I'm abiding by this podcast rules and I'm drinking a coffee, buddy. Come on, get with it. Uh, it gives me acid reflux, Craig. Oh, no. The secret is out. The secret is out. It's terrible. We are coming off of our 100th episode. Now we're into a whole new 100. 101. How does it feel, buddy? It feels good. There's a nice symmetry to the number. You know, 101. I like that. Oh, yeah. 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 It's, like, it's like radar. It's a, what do they call those? A palindrome. It's a palindromic number, 101. Radar... Race car, Bob, those are no. all palindromes. Yeah. Is race car really? Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I hey, how about it. this one? A, a full sentence. How, how does this one go? A man, a plan, a canal, Panama. You like that one? That's a full sentence. For real, man? That's amazing. Yeah. That's Craig. I had never heard of that before, and that's actually like that's insanely impressive. I yeah. wonder if a person said that sentence first and then realized it was a palindrome. Do you Ooh. think that's the case? That would be that would be insane. That's a juicy little tidbit. I, I bet if you looked it up, you could find even longer sentences that are like that. But they would really probably seem contrived. Juicy little tidbit is also a palindrome. <laughs> juicy little tidbit. Is. Yep. <laughs> I, I won't look at that too carefully. Uh, I have a feeling you're making that. But uh, I am. I am. So, so um, tell me, James, uh, you're an editor. Uh, you cover people and places. Uh, what, what trends are you seeing in the world out there? Well, I'm glad you asked, Craig. So well, on the personal side, I am looking forward to watching the new Space Jam movie. I feel a bit conflicted over it because that was one of my favorite childhood movies. We rented that from the library so many times growing up, seeing Michael oh. Jordan playing with the Looney Tunes. So I, I want to see the new one. I'm worried about if I'll like it or not, but I need to see it. And so as we're talking about Space Jam, there's all this other stuff that's going on in space. And no doubt you've read about that news, right, Craig? Oh, yes. I presume you're talking about uh, Richard Branson uh, and then Jeff Bezos uh, making their respective trips. Branson up to the upper part of the atmosphere. Bezos and team actually making it uh, across the barrier into space. Uh, that's what you're talking about? You, you testing me on some uh, current events? If you Indeed. Will? Yes, uh, our, our billionaire friends and their chums uh, putzing around up in space land. And Craig, well, I, I know you enjoy being thematic with our mm. podcast episodes. And yeah. as the main 
podcast organizer for today's episode, I have decided to go the distance with a space theme. A space theme. How does that sound to you? Oh, I, I kind of like that. I mean, Space Jam, you're already off to a good start with that and Branson and Bezos. Yeah, uh, not sure exactly what to expect here. If I know you, it's probably going to be a little wacky. Well, as we say in uh, the technology industry and in the space industry, uh, you need to expect the unexpected. By the way, you're not in the space industry at all. No, I'm not in it yet. And Craig, I know that you don't like the word space, particularly when it's added to the name of an industry. But yes, unfortunately, we will be talking about the space space today. Yeah, don't get me started on that. But I'm okay with this this space, as long as you're not adding space onto the end of every one of your sentences. <laughs> okay, I'm just, yeah. Uh, from now on, it will just be space. We are not operating in the podcast space. Uh, let me tell you that. We just do. We do podcasts. Right. That's fair. That's totally fair for you to, to demand that simplicity. <laughs> Cue music. Oh, okay. Okay. So please tell me this is not a Star Wars parody. Star Trek. But yes, it is. <laughs> Technology. The great accomplishment in the evolution of humanity. That lacks any sense of parallelism. These are the voyages of the 2021 Channel Partners Conference and Expo. Its mission, to provide a networking platform for the global channel community, to gather the hottest technology solutions and services, to deliver insight from 100-plus leaders and experts, to lead channel partners into the future of digital services and customer experience. I think this guy has actually been to space, because that's just way too wordy. Captain's Log. Start 842-069. Who made you captain? You're certainly not at this podcast. Three months remain before the Channel Partners Conference and Expo, which we will host in the glorious hinterlands of Mandalay Bay. Really? Hinterlands? Day by day, we inch closer to our goal, filling out our agenda speaker by speaker. Dr. Galbraith, progress report. All right, now, I'm certainly no Star Trek expert, but you clearly haven't watched the show. I said progress report, Dr. Galbraith. Why, why would the doctor report? I don't know, maybe you're a data scientist. What I want to know, Craig, is what are our latest conference sessions that we've added to the agenda? Well, since you asked, uh, Chris Trapp of Upstack will deliver a talk on creating financial value for agents. And uh, Tolaris, Amy Bailey will team up with Cox's John Muscarella and Achieve Unite's Teresa Carrigal for a talk about partnership. Yes, yes, very good, Dr. Galbraith. I'm not sure if we're going to alienate the Trekkies on this cast or, or lose everyone else. Either way, it's uh, probably a lose-lose. Uh, alienate, okay. Another space reference, Craig. Nicely done. Oh my gosh, just keep putting my foot in my mouth. Now, Craig, I know I put you through the ringer here. I know it was a little wacky, as you predicted, so I'll drop the whole Luke Skywalker act. Wait, Luke, wait, now you're confusing me. Wait, wasn't this Star Trek? Now I'm totally lost. They're converging, as we say in the uh, space industry. Now, what do you say we introduce our next guest? Oh, please. We're going to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion and allyship. We're going to be talking to two key members of Exposure, Inclusion, and Diversity Council, 
Kelly McMillan and Jamal Savoir. These are two influential people already in the channel as it is. Both of them are, are very familiar faces in the channel. And both of them have been kind of helping to steer Bossier, uh, which has been a huge, huge resource for businesses that are looking to build DE and I and A programs, as well as individuals in the channel that are looking to advance their careers. So we're going to have Jamal and Kelly on and learn from them. Yeah, excited to hear from them, James. Also, Exposure has a big membership drive that has started this summer. So uh, let's get right into it, hear what they have to say and, and learn how you, our loyal castie, can get involved in Exposure. All right, everyone. We are happy to be joined by Kelly McMillan, the global partner manager at Five9, and Jamal Savoir, director of channel sales engineering at 8x8. They're here today to talk to us about the Exposure, Inclusion, and Diversity Council. Uh, Kelly and Jamal, how are you both doing today? Good. Doing great. Glad, Glad to, be. to have you here. I'm I'm excited to have this conversation. Could you give us some some background on exposure? I know it's been around for a couple of years now, but it's really come into the channel spotlight, especially in, in 2020. Could you give us a little bit of history on exposure? What was the vision behind it, and uh, and what does it do? Well, yeah, thanks for that question. Uh, we we've been together now for for quite some time as exposure. And it really started at, at a lunch at an informative event channel partners out in, uh, out in Las Vegas. And Kelly McMillan had the vision and the foresight to bring some people together and have the conversation around how the channel could be better, how the, how the people in the channel could be more connected, and specifically how important it was to have diverse people from diverse backgrounds with, with, with diverse ideas included in the future of what the channel could be. And from that conversation, uh, she got myself, uh, Brandon Knight, from, who's currently at Tolaris, uh, Christine Sun, who's currently at Intellisys, together. And the four of us kind of formed this idea of what an inclusion diversity council would look like as a business resource group for the larger channel ecosystem. And, and it really has grown from there. We, we've been able to bring in some really great people to contribute on our executive board. We have some really great people contributing at sort of the regional level in their in their areas of interest around everything from you know your traditional uh, diversity and inclusion groups you might consider people that maybe you know from a particular background socioeconomic you know ethnic background gender expression gender gender identity all those types of background things but looking at the forward motion of the channel and being more inclusive and more diverse and more equitable as we look at all these different companies in the channel ecosystem and how important it is to include people in, in the forward progress. So it's been a journey which we still have far to go, but the, as far as the history goes, it, that's that's kind of how we got started and uh, how we've grown over time, really, really organically bringing in those really important voices and ideas. Yeah, that's really great, Jamal. I'm excited for our loyal casties to learn more about exposure uh, on this call today. Kelly, a big reason we wanted to have you guys on the show is that your your membership drive, uh, right, is uh, just kicking off in earnest this summer. I want to learn more about that. Uh, maybe tell us who can join, uh, what your message is for potential members, and uh, what you hope to accomplish with a, a larger organization. Lots of questions there. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lots of questions, but all good stuff. And when we talk about, when you hear Jamal kind of talk through what it means uh, for our organization, we chose the words inclusion and diversity 
Um, you know, the, obviously the, the, the correct nomenclature is diversity, equity, and inclusion, for which recently we added an A2, which we'll talk about in a bit. But um, diversity, equity, and inclusion plus A, which is allyship. And so for exposure, we chose inclusion and diversity because we want this organization to be seen as an inclusive one, a safe agnostic space for people in the channel and that are interested in the channel to come and network and learn best practices from each other, figure out how best to work and be successful in this space, um, and to create some succession planning. Um, we, you know, this this channel is, is kind of aging out a little bit. Most of us, there's a good chunk of us who've been here for you know 20 some odd 20 plus years, and a lot of us who've been here for five less years. Um, and so there's not very many in that gap. And so that's kind of what exposure was was there to do, just to help create um, space for those that are in this channel space. With that being said, membership is, again, inclusive of everyone, diversity of background and diversity of thought, right? Um, and so really it's, it's anybody, whatever age range, you're in the channel, you're interested into learning more about the channel, learning about the tech channel specifically. And so uh, membership for us is $125 a year. And with that, those benefits are our webinar series. Um, we're launching a mentorship program. We have resources uh, by way of partners that we're building out right now too, um, to help you either understand a little bit more technology or, you know, get some business resources and some tools to help start your business. We have people that are, are organizations that are veterans focused and women's focused with regards to um, trying to find the right seat on the bus if it's not the entrepreneurial route for you. And so, you know, we're hoping that our members can really resonate within those with those resources. And then we have membership also broken down regionally. So we have an East, a West, and a Central Region chairs um, who are looking for that. We have those committees and there. We have chairs right now and they're looking for co-chairs uh, to help support those regions um, because we we're going to start seeing us a lot more now that, you know, the world is a little bit open. You'll start seeing us a lot more traveling to various events, the partner events that are happening through the months of July, September, all the way through and up to channel partners. Uh, we'll have a space on the channel partners floor as well. So membership is very important because without our members, we can't do this work. And, and this work is for our members as well. Uh, you mentioned allyship a little bit. That kind of segues well into our next question. Now, you and some other members of Exposure played a key role in getting our DE&I group at Channel Futures launched, uh, the Allies of the Channel Council. Could you talk a little bit about how that group is different, um, how it's related, um, you know, how they're working together? Of course. Yeah. So it's so very, very exciting. When I say DE&I plus A, it is that allyship group and it's the Allies of the Channel group that launched fall last year, late summer. Uh, early fall last year. It was a brainchild of obviously Channel Partners and Chris Blackman in support of so many. I think the organization right now has up to encroaching on about 75 active members. And of those members, about 40 to 50 people show up every month uh, to have a conversation and to create content around allyship and making the channel better. And recently, Exposure kind of acquired or, or absorbed the allyship group and we couldn't be happier. 
Um, Chris Blackman, who sits on the board at Exposure, um, she's uh, she's our one of our newest board members. Um, she sits on the board and she will be leading up that charge um, on behalf of Exposure and on the behalf of the Allyship Committee. Um, and still, again, pushing forward to creating a space for our allies here in the channel um, to be um, impactful with the direction that we're trying to go and creating an equitable, inclusive space for all of the people in the channel. Um, so it's very, very exciting. Our meetings are normally the first or second Thursday of the month. And so we we get on and we break out into groups and we figure out what committees we're on and we we do the work. So it's really exciting to have this organization um, join ours because the voices that are, are there are very diverse. They come from various different backgrounds, various different technology sets. And we have a lot of uh, tr our traditional referral sales partners, MSPs, vendors, and um, technology services distributors, all a part of that organization and folding that into exposure is just going to make us better. You know, allyship is, is just so important as, you know, we're, we're all human beings and whether it's, you know, Black Lives Matter or Stop Asian Hate, the, the enthusiasm of the allies around those types of movements, those types of things that are happening, not just in the channel, but in the rest of the world, it's so encouraging to see people passionate about, you know, raising their voices, doing advocacy, um, raising awareness, and really just putting the message out there that, you know, we're all human beings and we want to be uh, respected and, and cared for and support each other. And uh, I, I just love the way that the allies of the Channel Council, the allyship sort of wing of exposure really promotes that and, and is, is, is inclusive of all those people uh, that care about those causes. Yeah, that's really great, you guys. Uh, extremely proud for the ACC to be folded into what you're doing there at Exposure. Absolutely. Uh, and I'll, of course, uh, put uh, some information on the landing page of this podcast of how people can get involved as well. So shifting gears just a little bit, uh, Jamal, I'll pose this question to you. Uh, James here has done a terrific job uh, in the past month or so, uh, taking a look at what's become a particularly hot button issue in the channel, and that is the uh, term master agent, which has been used for many, many years, but for more than just one reason, but one in particular being the, the connotation it has to slavery. Uh, the term is sort of falling out of favor in a lot of circles, and I know this is something that uh, the two of you probably feel somewhat passionate about as well. So, Jamal, maybe just start with you and, and give us your take. Is master agent a term that should sort of go the way of the dodo, so to speak? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. It, it, it has run its course. There are various groups out there sort of deciding how the the new terminology may work. Uh, I know, as as I said in in a previous article that I, that I spoke on with you guys, you know, it's something that took me quite a while to just accept and kind of get comfortable with, but unnecessarily comfortable, right? It's not it's not something that uh, I would I would have chosen to be comfortable with, but you kind of get familiar with people, you get familiar with the terminology, with the conversation, and it feels less and less strange over time. But I love the responses from our board member Dave Dyson around this topic of just how, you know, really just strange it is to have that be part of the day-to-day -day conversation uh, when you're talking about business and talking to entrepreneurs. And and the fact that this the ecosystem is really driven by the people who are not tagged as the masters, so to say, um, right. just just shows that it's just a it's an outdated term. It's kind of an upside down way to position things and it just you know, it, it, it was accepted, but but not for any any great reason. So I'm glad to see the conversation happening. 
Uh, I'm glad to see people making decisions about a better way to describe uh, the benefits they bring to the table, the types of services they can provide, and um, just a just a better go to market strategy from a, just a pure empirical uh, situation, just to you know make the name fit what actually what, what the actual value is you bring to the conversation, which I think is always a good thing. Absolutely, Kelly. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, Jamal kind of outlined it all from the from the weirdness and oddness of that term being used and just widely accepted. I think that was that was my first thing is a lot of us, we kind of fell into the channel and to make the correlation between or, or just getting used to using the word master agent or master anything. Um, I don't even call my managers boss, you know, for for similar reasons, like they're very particular terms that I feel like not just um, people of the African-American community, but people of some communities like this just it's just a derogatory term. Um, And I think it it just kind of shows how kind of lost it is on people that don't have that didn't have that same experience or background. Right. Um, Which is why inclusive creating inclusive backgrounds and understanding correct terminology and terminology that might be offensive is important. Um, in the education around creating this a, a better channel space. Um, but I, I am looking forward to when we come up with a term, you know, I almost feel like we should just put out a survey or a vote, right? Um, get the top most terms and maybe channel par- partners could facilitate something like that at the show coming up, right? And figure out what is the best term to use, um, whether it's technology services distributor or whether we drop the DISTI thing altogether. I know some of the, the top Referral partner groups don't really care to use the term DISTI, but, you know, it should be reflective of the value add and it should be reflective of the ecosystem. I I think that's another piece if I were to add. Obviously, myself and Jamal sit on the vendor side of this. And as a vendor, the term master agent doesn't really, you know, paint us in the in the best light either. Right. So (laughs) it's like it's kind of it almost seems a little bit one sided because they're managing the agents or so-called partners that are out there. Um, But we also know that it's an ecosystem, that we're here to support each other and kind of balance each other out. So uh, I'm looking forward to when we can get it changed and updated because it's very odd to have those conversations outside of the channel and people have to explain why we're using that that, uh, terminology. It's a little comfortable more than hard. It's very uncomfortable. That's really well said, and I, I feel like it, it does kind of come back to what you've said earlier about that that some of the people that were starting up Exposure were people who were newer to the channel and were coming to the channel, the industry, with fresh eyes. And you have this industry that's kind of small, and people have maybe been in the same place for a long time, and now a group of people are, are coming in and sharing this observation of what the industry looks like from people who haven't been ingrained in it. Does that resonate at all? I mean, it definitely resonates with me. I mean, that that's, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you want to be able to have a positive thing to say about, you know, where you work, the people you work with, uh, you know, what types of businesses you engage with and, and, and to always have to navigate through the conversation that what, what did you say? What was that again? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's it's like I said un- unnecessarily uncomfortable sometimes and comical other times. But I know I know we as a, as an ecosystem as a group of entrepreneurially minded 
high performing people can come up with something better than that. Well, I, I'd like to go back to the DE&I initiative conversation. I know both of you are active in this cause. And uh, Kelly, I know from your leadership in this area at 5.9, um, perhaps there are some experiences and advice you could share to our listeners um, who may be considering getting a DE&I uh, or a DE&I&A organization off the ground at their company. Anything you would recommend to them if they're about to embark on that? Yeah, a couple things. I think there is a there's a very good way to do this. And one of those ways is one, figure out what the what you want your culture to look like, right? From a leadership perspective, if you're a leader, Talk to the other leaders in your organization, include some of the people that have feet on the ground, right? Those entry level folks kind of curate your own council and figure out where your culture is and where you want your culture to go. It's important to get visibility kind of really directly to what you just said about there being a fresh set of eyes. Sometimes leaders have been in an organization for so long, they think their culture is amazing. And then they realize that the people that they're hiring don't feel the same way. Right. And you have to be open and receptive to that feedback and really ready to make a change. And to affect change, you have to listen first, do an assessment and then figure out and put some things into action. Um, one of the easiest ways to do this, is, like I shared, was the was a, is a council. Get some like minded people, not all from the same pay grade or background or, you know, even d- departments. Get some varied departments and, and people in your organization together for, for a council, have an honest conversation about where you want to be. And then the next thing that is easy to do is to start to allow organizations, people within your organization to create ERG groups. They're passion projects I've heard people call, but an, an employee resource group um, inside of organizations really help people to show up and be themselves and have conversations that you might not otherwise have because they're not necessarily business driven on the high level. They're not business driven. But when you learn that these ERG groups help to foster a more cohesive work environment, then your teams are able to show up and be authentically themselves because they feel like, oh, you know what? Also, you know, if it's a family ERG group, you realize that someone in product, you and your sons are the same age and you find that you have all these things that kind of bring you cohesively together, even closer than just understanding that we, I'm in sales and you're in product and we need each other from that perspective. You start to create some other relationships and ties and bonds. And that means that we'll work stronger together. And because we know each other a little bit better, we're a little bit more personal. And I think that's that's kind of the evolution of where we're going as a channel. And if in the channel specifically, for instance, we're very much relationship driven. And so that is a, it's kind of the same premise when you're thinking about diversity, equity and inclusion and allyship. You're bringing those same points and pillars within your organization to create a stronger culture. Relationship-driven, excellently put, Kelly. Uh, Both you and Jamal, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Fantastic discussion today. Uh, And good luck with your membership drive at Exposure. Thanks. Thank you very much, Craig and James. Great talking with both of you. All right, good stuff there from Kelly and Jamal. James uh, was very excited to hear more about Exposure, how their group is growing, incorporating the old a channel partners, channel futures, allies of the channel council group to go along with the space theme of this podcast, James, you might say they're kind of shooting themselves out into the stratosphere a little bit. Ooh, Craig, that's brilliant. 
Yeah. Well played. Well played. All right. And as long as we're talking DE&I, James, uh, wanted to point out that we have our Channel Futures DE&I 101 list coming out, uh, scheduled for August 9th. This is going to be a great list of industry leaders, uh, folks in the channel who are really making a difference in DE&I efforts. So uh, looking forward to seeing that list. I love it, Craig. It's going to be a great opportunity to get a glimpse at people in the industry who are leading change and be able to honor them. So very excited for that. Yeah, probably. In fact, a lot of folks on this list, you may not have known uh, the type of effort they were making in this area. So uh, it's going to be terrific. Again, August 9th, uh, the scheduled date for DEI 101. So I want to stick with the space theme but I don't want to go too overboard and, uh, you know, float off, uh, so to speak. So okay. how about I keep things kind of tame with some fun space facts? Would that be fun? Oh, yeah. Okay. All well, right. Last time I leave it up to this guy to come up with a theme. So, Craig, what if I told you that one day on the planet Venus mm-hmm. is longer than one year on Earth? What would you say? I'd like to say that's fascinating, uh, but it is a fact. So you did live up to uh, what you said you were going to do. Yeah, and I apologize for making you think I was going to pull another prank on you. This is not like that conspiracy theory session oh, yes. we did. Okay. So yeah. So these it are is... real facts that I can I can like look to science and say, hey, that's that's pretty cool. You can grasp them. You can um, sort of take these facts home, so to speak. Yeah, I already work from home, so essentially the fact is now at home already. Right, (laughs) and that's good. So, Craig, what if I told you there were ice volcanoes in space? Ooh, where where would I find those? Can I ask a follow-up question to this? Uh, Yeah, well, uh, let me quote Reader's Digest. We're used to thinking of volcanoes as spewing hot molten lava since that's mostly the way they function on our home planet, Earth. But in space, a volcano can spew water, methane, or ammonia. And as Quartz explains, these materials freeze as they erupt and turn into frozen vapor and volcanic snow called cryovolcanoes. These phenomena are common. Wow. So is this online now? Because the last time I remember seeing a Reader's Digest was on the back of my grandparents' toilet in 1984. They have gone a long way since then, my friends. They, <laughs> they have their own website. Oh, it's wow. Insane. They have a domain. Wow. Yeah. Well, that one was interesting. I'll give you that. Who, who I, doesn't like ice volcanoes? Oh, we love them. And to answer your question, Craig, they're on Pluto, Saturn's moon Titan, some of Jupiter's moons, and those ones on Jupiter's moons are quite active with hundreds wow. of events. So watch out, everybody. Yeah, maybe Bezos and uh, Branson will be up there on uh, Jupiter. Pretty soon. You never know. Right. Last one, Craig. Okay. Uh, according to Reader's Digest, well, not really. They're not like the scientific experts, but according to their reporting, our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, is 2.5 million light years, light years away from the nearest galaxy, Andromeda. But astronomers mm-hmm. say that we're on a collision course that one day is going to destroy both galaxies as we know them. They are speeding toward each other at, check this number out, 250,000 miles per hour. And when they hit, they're going to scramble up their stars. And some stars and planets are going to go away. Some will survive. And after about a billion, wait, four billion years, according to National Geographic, 
um, that impact is going to happen and it's going to create an entirely new galaxy. So how does that make you feel, Craig? Well, I'm, I'm a little concerned that science might come up with a way for us to all live to be 4 billion years old, and then we're in serious trouble. Right. Well, advances in, in aging and modern science are uh, not there yet. So. Well, that's good to hear. Maybe, maybe it'll take a little bit of time. Is right. that it? I mean, those were some fascinating facts. I mean, you really dug into the annals of research uh, by checking out Reader's Digest. Well yeah, done. I went, well I done. went deep into the old RD and uh, came out <laughs> with some gems. So. But, uh, you know, I'll leave the rest of the space facts to you, Craig, and, and the loyal Casties. It's only a Google search away, but uh, you can find some pretty interesting stuff. I love that. I'm more of a simple man uh, taking us back to the beginning of this podcast. Uh, maybe I'll watch Space Jam for my space education this month. Yeah, let's let's have a viewing party, Craig. <laughs> all right. Uh, that was some good stuff, James. Thank you for making us all a little smarter, if you want to look at it that way. Uh, time to bring in our next guest. Uh, looking forward to talking to these guys. We're talking about Patrick Howard and Jason Bolin. Uh, Patrick is VP of Vendor Management. Jason is Director of Cloud Solutions at Jenny. We're going to learn a lot about this company. Uh, a particular interest to me was their relationship with Avaya and Avaya Cloud Office and how they're working with them. I also asked them toward the end if, if anyone has just randomly called them up and started spouting off the uh, 8675309 uh, song. Jenna, Jenna, can I, turn to <laughs> uh, I got a somewhat muted response to that, but it, it was mildly entertaining as well. So we'll, we'll, uh, you'll get to hear that here in just a minute. Yeah, you, you did your journalistic duty, Craig. I think everyone needed to hear that question asked. Always count on me to ask the nonsensical question. You're always going to get that from me. I dig deep. You do. Okay, we are glad to be joined by Patrick Howard, Vice President of Vendor Management and Marketing for Jenny, and Jason Bullen, Director of Cloud Solutions for Jenny, here to talk a little bit about what Jenny does, um, what the distribution space is doing right now, uh, their, their identity as a value-added distributor, and uh, sort of their observations of the channel. So, Patrick and Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for having, Thanks for having us. We appreciate it. Good to have you. So, guys, do you mind giving us a little bit of a background on Jenny for, for those in our audience who aren't familiar with the company? Um, where do they sit in sort of the general distribution space, or how, you know, how would you define the company? Yeah, I, I could take that, and then Jason, you can certainly add more. But Jenny's been in the value-added distribution space since the late '80s, so you know, 35 years of distribution experience. You know, serving a lot of different types of channel partners out there. Um, pretty much every channel partner you can think of, whether it's a traditional VAR, uh, interconnect, system integrator consultant agent. I mean, Jenny has been serving those type of partners in the channel for, again, as I said, you know, 35 years. In the last seven, eight years, in addition to being a value-added distributor, we are also a very capable and competent master agent. You know, as we all know, you know, how technology is being consumed and paid for by end customers out there, the needs from our partners are changing based on that. So we, we did develop and have built a very competent master agency again, over the last seven years. And we focus on you know, certain technology categories. Our history and heritage is around communication, products and services. You know, that has expanded from on-premise systems now certainly to cloud-deployed systems that were taken to market. 
Um, we have a big practice in the data networking space. Also, we do a lot of physical security, cameras, analytics, recorders. Um, some of the solutions to manage those environments are also cloud deployed, so we're representing that. And we're doing a lot of audio and video equipment. And what we're seeing a lot of as well today is just a lot of demand for equipment that's attached to cloud servers and installations, right? So cameras and and desk phones and headsets. So we're, we're playing a role in supplying a lot of that type of equipment. So we're, we're only focused on channel partners. Again, all different types of channel partners. We support them in a lot of different ways, which I'm sure we're going to get into. Um, we've been doing it for a long time as a value-added distributor. And as I mentioned, expanded out to the master agent side of the business. Yeah, we absolutely will talk more about that uh, coming up. Uh, Jason, I wanted to ask you, uh, and Patrick, you could obviously weigh in as well, but uh, Jason, as the director of cloud solutions, I've, everything I assume in this past uh, year or so has been uh, a big part of it has been wrapped around the deal with Avaya and cloud office. Can you talk about how that clearly has really become a large part of your business? Yeah, I would, I would say the last 18 months have uh, definitely accelerated the growth in the cloud space all around, not just with Avaya cloud office, um, just the demand for UCAS solutions, video collaboration and being able to support remote workers uh, has been beneficial in growing the cloud business. From the Avaya cloud space specifically, um, we're a longtime distributor of Avaya premise hardware. So we have a, a large base of partners that we're looking to help transition their customers over to a familiar system. Uh, and the Avaya cloud office just made that an easy transition. Um, the partners were able to offer their customers a cloud UCAS system with the award-winning like infrastructure and collaboration tools that Ring Central has to offer, but with some of those IP office feature and functionality sets that their customers were used to. So yeah, it has been a um, an accelerated growth period for us all around in cloud, and the Avaya aspect of the business has been very impactful in that as well. Yeah, and we've we've had a long-standing relationship with Avaya, you know, 25 plus years working with them, working with Avaya as a value-added distributor. Um, we have a great relationship with them, you know, across the board, uh, a lot of mutual focus and, you know, working with partners and enablement. And with Avaya Cloud Office, we've been able to take what we have been doing for a long time in the premise space and bring that to our partners and our end customers with the cloud space. So it's been an exciting time and the growth has been tremendous. Um, I, it would have grown well without the pandemic, but what we dealt with in the last year and a half has really accelerated it to a completely different level. But we're really excited about our partnership and what we've been able to do together and what's to come with Avaya. They've been doing a good job about bringing over some of those features that their legacy customers were used to. So it's just made it a easier transition to go from premise to a, a UCAS solution with them. Got it. Got it. Yeah, it's. I was going to comment on what Patrick said. It's just been crazy to see how technology companies have done during the pandemic. We've seen uh, so many other businesses suffer, but by the nature of things, you know, you're providing technology, and that's uh, that's what uh, the world has needed at this time. So I wanted to explore. You know, if you look at your uh, uh, website, you go down the news releases. But every other one from the past year seems to be a new partnership beyond uh, what you're doing with Avaya. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we we have been on a run to add more um, vendors to our to our offers. We're trying to make sure that across the different categories that what we represent, whether it be CCAS or UCAS or other video and collaboration type of tools, cybersecurity, SD WAN. You know, our role is to make sure that we have 
you know, best in class solutions that our partners can take to their end customers to solve their needs. So we spent a lot of time adding to that portfolio. Uh, the two categories that we spent more time on recently is um, CCAS and cybersecurity with so much going on, on, on out there with cybersecurity needs. Um, but those are the two areas that we spent a lot of time on. And, you know, there's a lot more to come in 2021. You'll see us continue to do press releases and, you know, webinars with the new solutions that we're adding to our portfolio. And we want to make sure, again, that we've got best in class solutions that help our partners cover the different kind of needs that their customers have, whether it's a specific vertical, enterprise, mid-market, you know, compliance with, you know, HIPAA or other compliance needs that they have. Our job is to bring those type of solutions so that our partners can answer their customers' needs. And we're going to keep doing it. That's fantastic. I'd love to go back to this conversation about adding that additional practice, the uh, uh, master agency practice. We've had this discussion a lot in the last month of, of what is the line between the you know traditional, you know, what we call DISTs and uh, the traditional, what we would call master agents and some of the latter wanting to call themselves distributors. So for a company that has done both. Could you talk about what that line looks like for you? How are those two practices different or do you or do you sort of view them as two different practices? They are different. I mean, the the business model is different in an agency versus a, you know, a traditional buy sell. So, how you quote and transact with the partner and the other end of it is different, you know, based on the two different models. At the end of the day, the technology that's being deployed to solve the customer problem isn't any different. So when it comes to, like we do a lot of consulting, we ask a lot of questions to our partners and try to understand what their needs are, what the end customer's needs are. We do pre-sales tech support, right? We help with designing different solutions. So a lot of that work, whether it's in the master agency side or on the value-added distribution side with traditional transactions, those pre-sales needs, they're really not different. Again, you need technology to solve problems and you need distribution and master agents to help put those pieces together for our partners. The difference becomes with how the, you know, how the money flows and helping partners to transition from capex to opex and getting a, you know, a monthly commission versus a lot of dollars up front. So the positioning and how we support more the business side of it, master agency versus traditional selling is definitely a lot different. And we need to have expertise in business development, product management, and marketing to help position those things to our partners. And, and training as well is another important piece to it. Yeah, I would, I would just say that they're similar in that we're providing services to our partners who are getting something to their customers. In my experience, the perspective of a traditional distribution partner versus, say, a, a, maybe an agent or an MSP uh, is a little bit more sales-focused than technical. Um, they're really just trying to solve the need of their customer and put together a full solution services to basically meet whatever that need is of their customer. Like I said, it just seems to me that the agency side, it's much more sales and less focused on the technical support service because they're relying on the vendors to provide that for them. Yeah, they'll they'll play a role in that depending on how deep they want to go. But yeah, Jason's right. There are times where they if they they have really good end customer relationships, sales and marketing, you know, they they can rely more on the vendor or a master agent for the technical side of it. Very very true. I think the other big difference, and I, I'm sorry, uh, James, but 
the barrier to entry for an agent to get into the business is like very, very low, right? You don't have to send people to a, a three-day technical training class and get a lot of certifications and worry about inventory. You become an agent, right? You can come to Jenny, you can sign our one cloud agreement, gives you access to all the different uh, uh, solutions that we have to offer. And it doesn't cost you anything. You're going to have to go out there and take some online training and learn something about the solution and get portal access. But the barrier to entry is really, really low. So from a new partner recruitment standpoint, um, you can really accelerate that. We realize that as a master agent. I really appreciate that sort of compare and contrast. I think that's pretty helpful for me, uh, especially as I go forward in my my reporting. So, so thanks so much for that clarification. Do you mind talking about the the partners that you work with you know sort of the the selling partners that you're working with rather than the vendors how do you see their profile changing like do you see new types of partners coming in or or, or partners perhaps evolving their practices i i would say um the mixtures changed pretty dramatically over the last six years for us there is a mixture of traditional partners that have adopted their business models to be more focused on the monthly recurring revenue and the service side and less focus on the technical aspect. And then we've also attracted pure agents um, that rely on the training and technical knowledge that our team has to be able to make the recommendation of the right solution for their customer. We service everything from SMB to enterprise level partners. Like we don't really have a specialty in any specific verticals, but I would say it's, it's kind of a mixed bag where it could be a, uh, a one or two person operation that comes to us and wants to offer a full solution. And then we have larger companies that have hundreds of employees that will work with a subset that's building up that recurring revenue business for them. We definitely have seen more and more traditional partners doing, you know, buy, sell, um, installing physical equipment that are adding a cloud agent practice to their businesses, Jason mentioned. We're seeing more and more partners adopt that, and they need to because the demand from their end customers are changing. Um, if they're not offering cloud-deployed solutions in addition to maybe a premise solution, somebody else out there might be able to get into their end customer base, and they don't want that to happen. So more and more adoption, but in addition, there's a, a lot more just born-in-the-cloud agents that are getting into the channel as well. So more and more are adopting the practice, which is really, really important for them to do. They've got the install base, too. If you think about all the premise seats that are out there in the communications world, you know, the traditional partners have so many seats and they need to work to with their end customers to convert them to cloud over time. They're going to have to because if they don't, somebody else will. Great stuff, guys. I uh, appreciate you joining us today. Uh, interesting to learn about uh, Jenny's kind of unique business model when you look at some of the other uh, distributors out there. I do want to congratulate myself, though, on getting through this whole interview without making an 8675309 reference. <laughs> or I, I guess we made it this far, I should have said. Do, do you guys get that a lot to people call up, uh, you know, making, making cracks about that? Occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of figured. You know, it's funny. We've got a... Uh, I was behind, I'm in the Phoenix area and I was behind a van, oh, a while back. And there's some company that calls themselves Jenny, whether it's a heating and air conditioning or, or something like that. And they actually had the the number, I suppose. Uh, it was probably a good marketing ploy to uh, use the, the number from the song. It was kind of crazy. I agree. I agree. That was a good move by them. So. <laughs> 
All right, guys. Well, uh, thanks for putting up with that a little bit of shenanigans. Uh, have a great rest of your week, and uh, thanks so much for joining us. We do appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thank you, guys. Uh, Craig, that was pretty solid. I personally thought it was interesting to hear the differences in the two models that Jenny runs. I think yeah. that's helpful clarification, and but also just interesting to see a company that does both of those. I think that's very fascinating. Yeah, they kind of uh, have a unique business model. They kind of sit in between the two sides of the channel in some respects, and uh, it was interesting. Yeah, especially as we're doing, I mean, lately I've been writing a lot about these vendors that are sitting on both sides and, you know, I, some vendors that have both what we have historically called a master agent uh, and a, a distributor. They're they're on the same sort of distribution council. So it's very interesting stuff. So, Craig, what do you say we wrap this puppy up? Yeah, we've probably done about as much damage as we can do. If you'd like to check out the archive of Coffee with Craig and James, just go anywhere you get your podcast. Of course, we always enjoy it if you check us out on the flagship website. Channelfutures.com. Thanks so much for joining us, and we hope to catch you for episode 102 next time. Have a great day, everybody. And May the, Wait, wait, can I do it? Yes, do it. The force be with you. Is that is that Star Trek? You nailed it, my friend. Same universe. Yep.